0: From the Daily Tar Heel, I'm Emmy Martin. Welcome to Before You Vote, the weekly podcast where we will be breaking down what Orange County residents and UNC students need to know before the 2022 midterm elections. After all, November 8th is just four weeks away. As you may have noticed, it's Wednesday even though Before You Vote usually comes out on a Tuesday. That's because the Daily Tar Heel has been working on a special edition paper entirely devoted to the issue of abortion. And that edition is now available in blue boxes across campus in Orange County. Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization is a landmark Supreme Court decision that significantly changed the framework of abortion access in America. But the exact interpretation of abortion cases has been evolving since Roe v. Wade was decided, in 1973. Here to talk about Dobbs, Roe v. Wade, and other cases related to reproductive care is The Daily Tar Heel's Hannah Rosenberger. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for joining before you vote.
1: Hi, Emmy. It's my pleasure. So there's four important Supreme Court cases when it comes to reproductive health and abortion access. It starts with Roe v. Wade in 1973, which generally established that the United States Constitution protects the right to get an abortion. It wasn't total unconditional access to abortion. There was some nuance about what states were allowed to do in different trimesters, but states were not able to outright ban abortion before viability. And then Planned Parenthood v. Casey happened in 1992, which was related to an Abortion Restriction Act in Pennsylvania. The Supreme Court affirmed that the Constitution did protect the right to an abortion before viability, but it did allow states to place restrictions on access as long as it did not present an undue burden or a substantial obstacle for someone trying to get an abortion.
0: What exactly does a undue burden mean?
1: That's a great question because it wasn't defined very well in the case ruling and it was debated a lot in the years following the Casey decision. But a 2016 Supreme court case, Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstedt, which overturned an abortion restriction law in Texas, gives a good example. The law required physicians who performed abortions to have admitting privileges at a hospital no more than 30 miles away from the clinic, and for clinics to meet the Texas standards for surgical centers. When it took effect, it dropped the number of abortion clinics in Texas in half and nearly doubled the number of women living more than 50 miles from a clinic. That would be an example of an undue burden because the quote-unquote burdens of the law outweighed the potential benefits.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So now... Let's talk about the most recent Supreme Court decision regarding abortion access, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, since that's probably the case on everyone's mind.
1: It certainly is. So the Dobbs case was in reference to a Mississippi law that would have banned abortions after 15 weeks. First, I just wanted to clarify that the Dobbs ruling did not ban all abortions nationwide. Instead, the Supreme Court's ruling in June 2022 basically said that the Constitution does not actually protect the right to an abortion. This overturned Roe v. Wade and the Casey decision. And the lack of reference to the constitution means that federal courts like the Supreme Court don't have any authority to regulate abortion access. It's up to state legislatures and other elected officials. So now that the protections of Roe and Casey aren't in place, states can pretty much do whatever they want as far as policies on abortion access, as long as they're not completely irrational.
0: What's something that would be completely irrational?
1: One of the law professors I spoke to gave the example that states can't force people to stand on their heads uh, because that's irrational. It wouldn't do anything to, quote unquote, protect the life of the baby. So basically anything that's actually related to reproductive health, including a total abortion ban, would be constitutional or legal.
0: Interesting. Okay, so
1: we've talked about the federal cases.
0: Now what's happening in North Carolina?
1: So in 1973, North Carolina passed a law restricting abortions after 20 weeks, but Roe v. Wade was decided in that same year, so the law never really had a chance to take effect. Mm. In 2019, the North Carolina case, Brian v. Woodall, placed an injunction on the law as a sort of reinforcement. So people were allowed to get abortions in that window between 20 weeks and viability, which is generally around 24 weeks of pregnancy. But that ruling in Brian V. Woodall was based on the principles in Roe and Casey, that the Constitution protected the right to an abortion. And when those cases were overturned in Dobbs, the North Carolina court ruled that the injunction from 2019 no longer had a foundation. So
0: the case basically confirmed that the 1973 state law is back in effect.
1: Yes, that's right. So in North Carolina, you can no longer get an abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy unless there's a medical emergency. That's defined by state law as when an abortion is necessary to prevent the mother's death or a risk of irreversible harm. But that doesn't include any psychological or emotional conditions.
0: Okay. Thank you. Roe v. Wade has been in place for almost 50 years. Um, so why did the Supreme court overturn it now?
1: The question is very much about what exactly is protected by the constitution. With Dobbs, the way the Supreme Court thinks about which rights are protected by the Constitution has changed. Previously, there are a bunch of things protected by a right to privacy or a right to personal liberty. This included cases around contraception, marriage, and abortion. But now the court is using a different test to determine what's protected by the Constitution when a certain right isn't explicitly mentioned in it. It said in the Dobbs ruling, for example, that, quote, the right to an abortion is not rooted in our nation's history and tradition, end quote. Because there's so many cases that relied on the same principles as Roe v. Wade, it's unclear whether the rights established by those cases will be overturned as well. The court majority said in the Dobbs decision that abortion was a unique case, but that could change in the future. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks for having me.
0: When the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and the constitutional right to abortion, they changed the political landscape before the midterm elections. States now have the power to regulate or restrict access to abortion. So as North Carolinians go to the polls, their access to abortion might be at the front of their mind. The Daily Tar Heel's Catherine Bragg has more.
2: The midterm election is getting closer and closer, and a lot is on the line in North Carolina this fall since the supreme court's ruling in dobbs v. jackson women's health organization in june the authority to regulate abortion has been returned to the states overturning roe v wade that ruling has hefty implications in north carolina where a democratic governor's successful veto has kept the majority republican general assembly from implementing major abortion restrictions thus far but with seats in the state legislature on the ballot this fall This election has immediate implications for abortion access. I spoke with Jillian Riley, the North Carolina Director of Public Affairs for Planned Parenthood South Atlantic, about abortion access in the
3: state. So abortion right now is legal in North Carolina, but it's hanging on by a thread. The reality is there are so many restrictions and barriers to accessing abortion in North Carolina. For example, you have a 72-hour waiting period, which is one of the longest in the country, but also North Carolina is a critical access point for abortion in the Southeast right now. And we need to make sure we're electing reproductive choice champions this November in order to continue to protect abortion access come 2023.
2: Since Roe was overturned, North Carolina has become a critical abortion access point for women across the country, especially in the South. So this election has implications beyond
3: the state. So right now in North Carolina, we are seeing about a third of our patients coming from out of state. And it's because in many of these states, there are abortion bans, whether that's a total ban, or severe restrictions on access to abortion. And North Carolina right now, we have a ban after the 20th week of pregnancy in North Carolina. Um, But we are still a critical access point for so many states across the Southeast region who have lost access since Roe was overturned.
2: North Carolina is in a unique political situation. Republicans hold a majority in both chambers of the state's General Assembly and are just a handful of seats away from a three-fifths majority. Three seats in the House and two in the Senate. If they gain those seats, they'll hold a supermajority that can override the governor's veto on any bill, even, as Riley explained, bills on
3: abortion. So, we have to make sure that we have enough votes in the General Assembly of people who support reproductive freedom to make sure that Governor Cooper's veto will be upheld and they cannot have a three fifths majority to overturn his veto.
2: Riley said that if the election results in a Republican supermajority in the NCGA,
3: they will try to take away North Carolina's reproductive freedom as soon as they are sworn in.
2: She said Republicans could act to introduce abortion restrictions as early as next January.
3: To me, it is that plain and simple. When we say abortion, abortion access is on the line and it's hanging by a thread, this is not a hypothetical situation. This is a very mm-hmm. real reality that will happen to North Carolina where abortion access could be severely restricted or completely banned come January.
2: That's why she thinks voters need to go out to the polls and pay special attention to races further down the ballot.
3: We encourage everyone to, to get involved and um, to support candidates at the state level because the US Supreme Court gave the power over abortion rights back to the states. And so these critical elections, this is a, this is a critical election at the state level, and we need everyone mm-hmm. to get involved.
2: Finding accurate political information about abortion, especially online, can be difficult. I spoke to Dr. Francesca Tripodi, a sociologist and assistant professor at the UNC School of Information and Library Science, about avoiding false political information online. Dr. Tripodi explained three types of false information.
4: So misinformation is just false content. Oh, misinformation is false content that's spread kind of unknowingly. Disinformation is when people are knowingly spreading inaccuracies for political or monetary gain. And then malinformation is when you have these kernels of truth mm-hmm. that are embedded in lies. And that's where I think we see a lot of the political landscape, is that you have these very small kernels of truth mm-hmm. wrapped up in a lot of inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. And that is what's so challenging about combating problematic content mm-hmm. leading up to an election.
2: Dr. Chipoti said the best way to avoid false information online is to be mindful of where you search, especially if you find information on social media. She also said you should double-check the returns of any search, making sure to be skeptical of unsubstantiated or sensationalized claims.
4: I think the big thing that I just would love all voters to recognize is that your starting points really matter when it comes to becoming an informed voter, and that there are there is a web of... Propagandists and conspiracy theorists that are anticipating your queries and trying to direct you to search for things, mm-hmm. knowing where that will lead. Mm-hmm. And so just being mindful of breaking that circle.
2: So this November, remember to stay informed as you head to the polls for this critical election. I'm Katherine Brown.
0: Abortion laws are changing, even in North Carolina. An injunction was lifted in August on a 20-week ban on abortion, despite protests from Democratic state leaders. North Carolina's legislature is only a few seats away from a Republican supermajority, which could lead to more restrictive regulations. Here to talk about the landscape of laws in the state is The Daily Tar Heel's Maggie McIntyre. Hey Maggie, thanks for joining Before You Vote. It's my pleasure. So Maggie, tell me about what the North Carolina General Assembly has done
5: on abortion since the 20-week ban was reinstated. Actually, the legislature hasn't introduced any bills to further restrict abortion since June. There haven't been any heartbeat bills introduced either, which generally ban abortion after six weeks. Some other states, like Georgia, have banned abortion after about six weeks under this kind of law, and Tennessee has banned abortion altogether. South Carolina's Republican House recently rejected an abortion bill passed by the state Senate after disagreement on how restrictive the bill should be. North Carolina also hasn't reconvened in a special session to introduce abortion restrictions like some other states have since Roe was overturned. So since states around us have some
0: restrictive abortion laws, are people flooding into abortion clinics in North Carolina?
5: According to some abortion providers in the state, people have come from as far as Missouri, Louisiana, and Texas to obtain an abortion in North Carolina. Planned Parenthood South Atlantic's North Carolina centers have seen their patient numbers from other states triple, and the Carolina Abortion Fund has seen a sharp increase in in request for funding. More than half of the patients at Planned Parenthood's Asheville Health Center have come from out of state recently. What's preventing North Carolina from having one of these restrictive bills right now? Well, it's primarily Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. He would block any more restrictive abortion legislation that the legislature passes through a veto. If Republicans gain a supermajority in the General Assembly in the midterms, though, they would be able to overturn one of Cooper's vetoes, meaning abortion restrictions could be passed. Republicans are only three seats away from the supermajority in the House and two seats away in the Senate. And some experts I talked to told me Republicans plan to introduce a ban when the new session starts in January. Are these kinds of restrictions popular? What what does polling data tell us? Polling from August from Caroline Forward suggests that most North Carolinians don't want to see increased restrictions on abortion. About 28% of all voters want to see increased access. This is split on party lines though. Only 18% of polled Democrats want to see more abortion restrictions, but 60% of Republicans do. Rebecca Kreitzer, an associate professor of public policy at UNC, said she thinks very restrictive bans like the ones we've seen in Georgia and Tennessee would go a little too far for most North Carolinians.
0: What about the other end? Could we see expansion of abortion rights in North Carolina?
5: It's unlikely for us to see expansion as long as Republicans are in power in the General Assembly. State legislative leaders Tim Moore and Phil Berger have been an outspoken opponents of abortion rights and were some of the first public figures who asked for the 20-week ban to be reinstated after Roe was overturned. Alan Bonzi, who is Chapel Hill and Carborough's representative in the state house, co-sponsored a bill that would expand abortion access to the parameters of Roe as soon as he got into office in June. The bill didn't go anywhere though because of the General Assembly's Republican leadership. North Carolina has an uneasy political balance between the Republican-led legislature and the Democratic governor, so it doesn't look like laws will change either way under this current structure. Thanks, Maggie. No problem.
0: That's it for this episode of Before You Vote. For more, be sure to grab an abortion issue special edition paper from a blue box around campus in Orange County today. Remember, the deadline to register to vote is October 14th, just two days away. See you next week. Before You Vote is a production of The Daily Tar Heels Audio and City Desks. This episode was written and produced by Reagan Allen and me, Emmy Martin. Contributors to this episode are Maggie McIntyre, Hannah Rosenberger, and Catherine Bragg. Our theme song is by Adrian Tillman.